Alrighty then, now we are in the book of Acts. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. For those of you who are joining us uh, via video, all those over in Stevens Point and others who join us online uh, via the internet, uh, we're glad that you're uh, joined with us. Our Wednesday night Bible studies is when we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse, one after another, put it in context and uh, and learn something from it. Uh, uh, at times, it's it's great fun, and other times, it's a little tedious because of, they'll get real detailed and stuff. Um, but uh, it, the New Testament's pretty good. Old Testament, that'll wear you out, boy, I'll tell you that. If you've, uh, you want, you're having a hard time sleeping, open up and start reading Leviticus tonight. And uh, you'll be unconscious about the 14th verse. Uh, some brutal stuff back here. We will eventually get to the Old Testament. We might... Uh, Sooner than I think, actually. I think what we'll do when we get to the Old Testament is just jump to significant portions of the Old Testament. Some of the cool stories in the Old Testament. Because there ain't no way I'm reading the whole thing verse by verse. I don't think I'll live that long. So, anyway, not with me talking about each one. So, Okay, so, we are in the book of Acts. And we encourage you to bring your Bibles when you come uh, to our Wednesday night Bible studies. We do show the scriptures up on the screen. But better that you actually have it in your hands so you can see where we're going. Now, where we're at. We are in chapter 7. Of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical record of what happened to the first century church. These are the first Christians ever. And, uh, and they start building the church and the kingdom of God. Jesus has gone into heaven and told them to go preach the gospel. And we see what they did and how they did it. And the challenges that they had. And the great successes that they had. And uh, everything that comes with it. Now, uh, where we're at is we are uh, reading a sermon. Uh, Stephen, who's one of the first... Um, deacons in the church he stepped in to help settle a fight in the church about whose widows were getting more attention than the other widows and anyway they they put these deacons in and uh what's neat about the deacons is we see for the first time that great miracles are being done now not just by the apostles uh, up to this point, one could make the argument, well, miracles, that's just, what's the apostle, the apostles did that. Well, no, no, no. Right away, we see that other men start doing the same kind of incredible miracles. It wasn't just uh, relegated to just the apostles. So these are just the next line of guys in the church doing incredible things. Stephen does these incredible miracles. The Sanhedrin gets mad. These, these rulers, they bring him in for questioning. And he starts preaching to them and starts exp- explaining to them where he's coming from. And what he does is he, <laughs> he starts pretty much giving the history, a mini history of the Jewish nation. Which in a way is a little odd because these guys all knew this stuff like the back of their hands. In a way, it could have been a little insulting. On the other hand, uh, some say, well, you know, he was showing that he really understood these things. But really what's happening here is he's, he's talking about some of the struggles of the patriarchs, the, the establishers of the Jewish nation. And he talks about um, uh, Abraham and then Jacob. And Jacob, who was the father of the, had the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's talking about their struggles and stuff. And uh, where we left off... Uh, was uh, in, in let's, let's pick it up at verse 9. Uh, the patriarchs, talking about these 12 guys, were jealous of Joseph, their brother, one of the patriarchs. They sold him into, as a slave into Egypt. Now, now, what he's doing here is he's showing the struggles of people of faith. And he's going to go through and he's going to get to Moses and stuff like that. And he's going to show what these great men did and how these rotten guys around them gave them a hard time. Now, these guys listening to the sermon don't quite get it yet, but at the end of his sermon, what he's going to basically say is, you're like all the rotten guys that tried to stop them. 
That's what it, it would be like someone, uh, you know, getting in front of all of us, all proud Americans and stuff like that, and giving us a great history of, of the Revolutionary War and talking about, you know, uh, the, the Benedict Arnolds and those who uh, fought against their own country and left the country and went back to England and stuff like that. And when he gets done and he says, and all of you, you're like the Benedict Arnolds. You know, ouch. Owie, owie. That would tick off a lot of people, all right? This is in essence what he's doing. They don't know it yet, but he's showing... Great men, because when they hear these stories, they're thinking, yeah, we're, we're like the good guys. Yes, I'm like Joseph, I'm like a Jacob, I'm like a Moses, yes, we're spiritual. Abraham, I'm, very, I'm sure I look just like Abraham in the mirror, you know. And it wasn't until he gets to the end, and he says, no, 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 you were the jerks against all these guys. And they didn't like it. We'll get there. Okay, so, um, so the patriarchs were Joseph, jealous of Joseph. They would identify as being with Joseph. What he's going to point out is you were like the, like the brothers who were trying to sell him off. Okay, anyway, God was with him, rescued him from all his troubles, gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all in his palace. Then a famine struck in all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. Uh, When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers, again, these 11 other guys, uh, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes, sent them on their first visit. They come into Egypt. On their second visit, Uh, Joseph finally tells his brothers who he was, uh, which is really the fulfillment of the prophecy Joseph had originally shared with him. The reason they hated Joseph is because he kept telling them of these wonderful dreams of how he saw someday they would all come bowing to him. Well, not a good way to win friends and influence people. The brothers got mad at him and beat the snot out of him. We're going to kill him, but sold him off anyway. Eventually, the prophecies come true because here come the 11 brothers to Egypt bowing down, trying to get food for their family. And then Joseph finally says, guys, you who, it's me. And whoa, so they find this out. And so the the whole prophecy had come true. Well, uh, so uh, when when Pharaoh learned about Joseph's, and that's when Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family, it says. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all, big family. Um, They went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Okay, not as soon as they got there, but they all lived there. They eventually died. Okay, uh, their bodies were brought back to Shechem, a place in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Again, why he's telling this, I don't know. But uh, uh, certainly he's relating to these very uh, educated Jews. Um, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, what promise? That through him would come a mighty nation. See, it says, then the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. These guys were having babies like there was no tomorrow and, uh, and freaking everybody out because they were so prosperous. Uh, for those of you who've listened to me much know uh, how I feel about that as, as I'm, I'm, I'm looking at where we're at in this country and people of faith today are not even keeping up with the replacement birth rate in America, which I think is a sad thing. I don't, we're, our kids aren't getting married young enough and not having enough kids. And uh, we'll be the first generation in the history of faith to breed ourselves out of existence if we don't stop it. And, uh, and it was a long, long sermon on that whole deal. I always tell people, you, you know, people say, we, we need to fight for America. We need to fight for righteousness. You want to fight? Start outbreeding the heathens. All right? Seriously, if people would have talked about this 30 years ago, there would be so many more people of faith in this country today. It'd be game over. Right now, the country's so evenly balanced. Shouldn't be that way. We should be like, ah, all right. But 
we're not thinking clearly. Well, these guys didn't have this problem. They were out breeding the heathen big time. And, uh, well, then another king comes along who didn't know anything about Joseph, didn't care about Joseph, and he became ruler of Egypt. And he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. So here comes this new king. And uh, the other king, Pharaoh, liked uh, Joseph and the family and everything else. Well, when this new guy comes along, he didn't care one whit and felt threatened by all these people. And he puts them into slavery. And they were actually in slavery for 400 years, the Jewish nation. And they, but even during this time, they kept growing like crazy. Uh, so large were their families. And at this point, this guy comes along and uh, they said, we need to keep this population down. And what they did is they would take these newborn babies right away and, and throw them out so that they would die. It was um, an early version, quite frankly, of abortion. Uh, they didn't have abortion back then. They had to wait for them to die, and then they tossed them out. Now we're a little bit smarter, supposedly, so we kill them before they're born. But it's uh, both very, very sad, destructive things, no, not valuing life. And they felt threatened by these guys, so they basically aborted, if you will, their children as they were born. Well, at that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. And when he was placed outside... Pharaoh's daughter took him, if you read the story. They were hiding him and floating him in a basket, trying to keep him from these guys coming, trying to kill all the babies. Because they were trying to keep down the population. Well, Pharaoh's daughter sees him floating in the river and says, Oh, what a cute little baby. I think I'll take it home. You know, it's kind of like, Look at the puppy I found, Daddy. I don't don't know how she got away with it, but she brings in this baby and, and decides to keep it. Can I keep it? Can I keep it? Can I keep it? So anyway, she keeps the baby. And brings him up as her son, which is really, if you think of it, it's really rather f- amazing. I mean, that's a major commitment. I mean, one thing for a puppy, you know, it's another thing. She raised this child as her son. All the commitment, all the responsibility that came with that. But it was God's way of protecting Moses so that he wasn't destroyed. Well, Moses was educated, and, and again... He's setting this up, and he's going to come to it at the end and basically said, you know, you're thinking, oh yeah, Moses, yeah, those evil guys that were trying to destroy him. At the end of the sermon, he basically says, you were like all these evil guys. Okay, and you'll see what they did to him. Anyway, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action, which is interesting. He was powerful in what? Speech and action. What happens to him 40 years later? Where's his speech? Gone. So he's a young guy here. He really thinks he's something. I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I know what's going on here. (laughs) Tough guy, smart, really skilled. What happens when he's 40 years old, prime of life here? He was decided to visit some of his fellow Israelites. Apparently he knew somehow, I don't know where he found out, but that he was an Israelite. He saw one of the Israelites being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Well, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. You know, he said, wow, this is it. Because in his heart, he knew God had called me to do something. He didn't quite have it figured out yet. But he went in and and he fought to defend his people. And he thought, surely they will celebrate me. But they didn't. Again, he's going to point out, they weren't like Moses. They were like the guys who rejected him. Uh, The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Brothers, you know, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Well, then, the word was out. Moses freaks. So when Moses hears this, he he, uh, he fled to Midian. 
which is just south of Stevens Point, and uh, <laughs> where, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. So after 40 years had passed, now check it out. For, the guy is 80 years old now. 80 years old. This is great news for people like me. <laughs> I haven't even peaked yet. Praise God. You know, I just... 80 years old. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, it's too late for me. I have blown it. I have made too many mistakes. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. If I would have just done it right when I was a young man, boy, what I could be today. But it's too late for me. I want you to know something. It's never too late for you. God is not done with you yet. And it doesn't matter how old you are, what your circumstances are, how many mistakes you have made. God will still fulfill his plan in your life if you will let him be God in your life. Hallelujah. Now that's great news. Because I, you know, I kind of relate to Moses. You know, as a young preacher, I thought I was really something. I'm the smartest man I know. Wait till everybody hears me. They're just going to be amazed. You know, what a brilliant young man I am. Man of God. I'm a man of God. I know everything. I'm 28 years old. I'm so smart I can't understand it. And, uh, And nobody cared. And nobody listened, and everybody kept pushing me away, and I, I, I really got so discouraged, I finally gave up, uh, like Moses, in a sense, and, and I, I uh, started my own business. I got out of ministry. I didn't, you know, I still kept going to church. I still kept serving God, but I just, I wasn't in ministry anymore. I was just, I had my own business and raised our kids, you know, did that for almost 20 years, uh, and it wasn't until after the kids had grown and left the house that, you know, I thought, man, ugh, I blew it. I blew it. I, I should have zigged when I zagged, you know. But 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 uh, I should have zagged, but I zigged. Whatever I'm trying to say. Anyway, I I made the wrong choice, and I told my wife. I said, you know, I, I think. Uh, by the way, we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. Uh, 35 wonderful years. She's such a lucky girl. And uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, I said thank you, baby, for putting up with my stuff for so many years. I didn't say stuff, but anyway, um, I'm preaching right now. But uh, th- th- <laughs> uh, let's pray. Anyway, going on, and uh, and then and then uh, you know, um, I thought, well, what can I do now? It's so late in life, and that's when I first came. Uh, to this church and being part of this fellowship and it's been quite the ride over the last seven eight years uh, so it's never too late for you hallelujah that's the good news so anyway so 40 years has passed uh so now the guy's 80 and then an angel appeared to moses in the flames of a burning bush by the way j- just for some of you real bible studying kind of people it's, it's real interesting when you read the story you don't hear angels being mentioned but uh, apparently throughout Jewish history, as you see here, um, they pretty much interpreted that when God spoke to them in the burning bush or God gave him the Ten Commandments, so that it was through angels uh, that actually did this. And the clearest place you see it actually is, is when you read this guy's sermon. So anyway, uh, so an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight and he went over to look more closely and he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. 
Now, so he goes and he goes back and he tells, you know, set my people free. And in fact, by this point, remember, 40 years earlier, he's a man powerful in speech and action. Well, now he's, I don't want to go. I don't want to, I can't even talk. I can't even, can I take somebody with me? You know, and, uh, and Aaron goes with him and he's really the mouthpiece. Moses apparently didn't really say a whole lot. I didn't like to talk in front of crowds, unlike me. And, uh... Uh, I mean, just a complete turnaround in his attitude. It's just amazing. So anyway, this is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He has sent. Uh, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. Uh, This is a prophecy that they kept referring back to that Moses said, God will send you a prophet like me. Listen to him. And of course, it was Jesus. And what they kept pointing out to him is God sent the person that Moses said he would send and you didn't listen to him. In fact, you crucified him. Anyway, so... um, Talk about Moses. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, gave him the Ten Commandments, and with our fathers, uh, and he received living words to pass on to us. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, all that stuff. But our fathers refused to obey him. And I was getting closer. See, he's getting ready to tie them to all these guys who gave these people a hard time. Our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And for his fellow Moses, as for this fellow Moses who's led us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So now here's what happens. Moses comes. He does all these Ho Chi Mama miracles. I mean like, wow. And, and finally, after all these years, 400 years, God answers their prayer. Gets them out of slavery. They get him over to the other side of the Red Sea. And Moses says, okay, listen. I'm going up to get some instructions from God. The guy's gone for like 40 days. Well, these people start freaking out. I mean, he's only gone for a handful of weeks. And they say, well, this is Moses. We don't know what happened to him. We need to do something. God, do something. Let's. And then so they get Aaron, these guys, to make them a golden calf. So they get down and they worship a cow. We're from Wisconsin. You don't worship cows. You know, they could have been a bald eagle or something, but it's a cow. You know, at least a, you know, a dolphin or something with a flipper that gets on the water, but a cow, it just eats. And, and they bow down and they start worshiping. Oh, what a cool cow. What a cool cow. The cow was brought us out of Egypt. Hallelujah. Bless the cow. What a cow. Wish I had a cow like this. And these morons, these idiots, start worshiping a cow. Because they got impatient. Where's the pastor? Where is the pastor? It's been a week. Where is he? I don't think I can go on like this much longer. (laughs) For the benefit of my staff. (laughs) Good Lord, I was gone a week. You think the world died out there? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? Shut up! You'll be fine. Goodness gracious. 
Well, this, you know, it was more than a week and the pastor didn't come back and I'm freaking out, so they make the call. <laughs> so I tell people, just chill out. Don't have a cow. <laughs> All right? That's where that comes from. Don't have a cow. You don't, just, you won't die. Honestly, you know, when you get to the end of the rope, you know what you should do? Tie a knot. Hang on. Goodness gracious, when you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> Honestly. I'm going through hell. The pastor's not here. I guess I'll just stay right here. You don't want to do that. You're in hell. Move on. Anyway. <laughs> don't have a cow. So anyway, they had a cow, literally. And they, and they told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As, as for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. Pastor is on vacation. I don't know what happened. Yeah. So that, that, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. And they brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. They celebrated and worshipped and praised and had a big party. Dancing naked around a cow. Now, now remember, he's telling them this story. Again, it would be like us hearing about the great forefathers of our country and then the Benedict Ardles and the traitors and stuff that, that turned their backs on them and fought. You know, because when we hear those stories, we all assume we would have been with the good guys. They're all assuming, well, yeah, that, that would have been us. Yes, I, I can't believe they worship a cow. How terrible, how terrible. But the point of the matter, he's about to tell them, you're like all these guys. From the very beginning, the ones who always turn back on him. The ones like Joseph's brothers and, and this Pharaoh and all these people who've, who've persecuted God's people. Anyway, so, uh, so God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. Uh, this agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. And he quotes from the Old Testament. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech, which is one of the pagan gods that they worship. I don't know if that was the cow's name or whatever. But Molech and the star of your god, Rephim. They were into star worship, the heavenly bodies. They were kind of into cow worship and astrology. A bunch of astrologers who had a cow. Uh, and... Uh, and these idols that you made to worship, therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So he's quoting from the Old Testament when God uh, really had had it with these people later on and he sent the whole nation into Babylon. Well, he says, our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses. This is what, you know, the, the tabernacle, the ark of the tabernacle um, where they carried the Ten Commandments. You know, you saw Indiana Jones, right? Okay, that, that was that... And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. Yes, hallelujah. It's, it's in the Bible somewhere, you know. No, it's not in the Bible. Okay, but anyway, that that's that whole premise, the Ark of the Covenant, and trying to find the Ten Commandments, whatever. Uh, anyway, having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations. God drove out before them. That's when they came in, took up, you know, and took the land from the people uh, that were there before them. Uh, it remained. In the land, this tabernacle, until the time of David, uh, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling for the house for the God of Jacob. Okay, what's he talking about? He's still giving more history. So they come, they bring the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ten Commandments are in there, and it's in a tent, and it's in a tent all this time. And even uh, when it got to Israel and in Jerusalem, and David is king, it was still just in a tent. 
and, uh, and David wanted to build uh, a more magnificent temple so that the Ark of the Covenant isn't just sitting in a tent anymore. Okay, well, so that they, uh, God didn't let him build it, uh, but said that his son would build it, who was Solomon. So it was, the next verse says, but it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. Uh, uh, which is, again, one of the problems they were uh, giving him a hard time because they were saying that one of the accusations against Stephen, who's giving the sermon, was he's speaking disrespectfully about this place, this temple. You know, and there's people who actually think that God lives in buildings, like God lives in a church. Like God, you know, when you walk by, God is actually in there. No, 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 no. God doesn't live in here. Okay? He lives in here. This is where God lives. He doesn't live in a building. I think he can be respectful in, in a place of worship, but uh, this whole idea that God is somehow in there is, is not accurate. He says, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me, says the Lord? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You know? Okay, so, he's telling them all this stuff. Good guys, bad guys, good guys, bad guys, good guys, bad guys. You guys know the stories. All from your life. Good guys, bad guys, good guys, bad guys. You all think you're the good guys, but listen to this. And then he goes into the next verse and says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised heart and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resisted the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And you now have betrayed and murdered him. Talking about Jesus. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. So here's the kicker of his sermon. Good guys, bad guys, good guys. You're the bad guys. You're just like all these guys who always persecuted the people of God. Who always fought what God wanted to do. You're the guys who said, oh, let's worship our the pastor's been gone for too long you're the ones who've always been giving him static and then finally Jesus comes and what do you do you kill him the very one that Moses had spoke he will come and you should listen to him and you guys murdered him on a cross well you can imagine they were not happy to hear the conclusion to his sermon and it says when they heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm not, I don't know. It must be a, an Eastern uh, tradition thing. I don't know. I guess now I'm feeling it. <laughs> I guess I felt that actually at times. People making a cow. So they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And so, so they're already highly irritated, okay? They are not liking what this guy just said. Really insulted them. Just like we would be insulted if we were accused of being the traitors uh, in the beginning of our nation's revolution. Of course, the truth is they were right. They were the bad guys, and they had crucified the Christ. And all of a sudden, while they're screaming and going, arr, arr, he's looking into heaven, he goes, wow! He starts having this vision. He says, I see God, and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, oh my goodness. Now you're really ticking them off. Because they didn't believe in Jesus. They had crucified Jesus. So at this, they covered their ears. <laughs> and yelling at the top of their voices, like a bunch of children. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. 
don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. When you start doing that, I know I've preached too long. their ears yelling at the top of their voice la, 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 la. and they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul so we say Saul so here's Saul and what that means in, in eastern tradition is he's the guy in charge He's the one, uh, we are killing this person and, and this is who is acknowledging this so that they could participate in this stoning. Okay? Uh, now while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? Jesus, see. Remember, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He forgives his murderers while they are in the process of murdering him. Wow. And and you can't forgive your husband because he forgot your anniversary. You can't forgive your pastor because he's a big, fat, stinking jerk and he yelled at you. You can't forgive... You know, Pastor Gary, because he didn't shake his your hand when you walked past and think, what a stuck-up guy he's over there. What's the matter with him? I mean, honestly, people, some of us hold on to some of the most insane offenses and we refuse to let them go. I've been hurt! I've been hurt! I've been hurt! Okay. When they were getting stoned, I'm pretty much sure he was going, ow, 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 ow! They hurt! It hurts to be hurt. That's why they call it hurt. Are you following me? This is very complicated stuff. It hurts to be hurt. But while he is being insulted, while he is being damaged, what? Yeah, but, he, but, but they didn't apologize first. Big misconception about forgiveness a lot of people say I, I, I didn't forgive because he hasn't, he hasn't apologized yet it's got nothing to do with it if someone asks you to apologize you certainly should forgive the truth of the matter you should forgive whether they apologize or not <laughs> it's quiet in here now Quit preaching and go on to meddling now. (laughs) In the midst of the offense, with no one saying they're sorry at all, he forgives the very men who are killing him. Wow. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Which is a biblical way of saying that he died. So this is the very first martyr, if you're ever on Jeopardy. And they see under the Bible, Stephen, ah, who was the first martyr? And you'd win. (laughs) I don't know why you come listen to me. Anyway, (laughs) 
And then we read in the very next chapter, because remember these chapters were added later. This is just a continuation of the, of, 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 the, of the story here. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. So Saul was the guy. Is that for me? Uh, <laughs> Saul was there giving approval. So Saul is behind this. So, um, and then, now look at the next verse. On that great, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they're where? They're where? In the beginning, they're in Jerusalem. And now everybody gets scattered to Judea and Samaria because of this persecution. Now flip back over to the first chapter of Acts. First chapter of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking to the disciples, telling them what to do just before he goes to heaven. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, and where? Judea, and where? Samaria, and going on to the very ends of the earth. Now, up to this point, they hadn't obeyed one word of that, except hanging out in Jerusalem. It's interesting, suddenly they felt led <laughs> to go to Judea and Samaria. Bible scholars often say that the first uh, missions board in the history of Christianity was persecution. Now, we don't know that this happened in order to push them out. Wouldn't surprise me because they weren't doing what they're supposed to do. Or if this just happened and this was going to eventually happen anyway, but it's just interesting. Now they're going to Judea and Samaria. And it says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Very first martyr. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This guy started terrifying the first century church. Everything was going great. They were having a fabulous time. The church was growing like crazy. Christians were, people were getting, becoming Christians by the thousands. They had this incredible fellowship going, this big gathering where they shared everything together. They were there for each other. They completely loved and cared about one another. All these cool miracles, all this neat stuff we've been reading. And then all of a sudden comes this guy who just wreaks havoc and starts destroying. They kill Stephen and now he goes in and he starts breaking into people's homes and taking husbands and wives and throwing them into prison. All right. Well, those who had been scattered, he continues to write, preached the word wherever they went. Again, what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. Philip went down. Now, who's Philip? Anybody remember Philip? Look back to chapter 6. Chapter 6, chapter 6. Remember this is when they were all fussing and fighting because one group of widows wasn't getting treated fairly like the other group of widows was and they wanted the apostles and the pastors to fix it. And they said, look, we're not going to deal with this. You get some spiritual men who can deal with it. And in verse 5 it says, this proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, who becomes the first martyr, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and also who? Philip. Okay, turn back over. Now, so now we're reading about Philip. Again, it's a wonderful demonstration that it wasn't just the apostles who were doing these miracles. These guys who were basically there just to help wait on tables 
and make sure that everybody was getting the fair share in the church. They go out and now they are having great anointing in their lives. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Why is this important? Because there's a lot of people who who will try and tell you that miracles aren't really for today. That the reason why we don't see very many miracles is because that was really just for the apostles in the first century. Well, clearly that's not the case. Now, many of them go on to say, well, it was just for the first hundred years or so. Um, really, we're just looking for reasons to explain why we don't see more miracles. And, uh, and I think there's lots of reasons why we don't. I'm going to be speaking about it actually this Sunday. Uh, why no more miracles? Why aren't we seeing more miracles? Uh, and, and we are seeing some wonderful ones and people are having some fabulous answers to prayer, but this stuff was happening like crazy everywhere they went. Just miraculous things started happening. Uh, so he did all these uh, miraculous signs and they p- all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. I mean, this was cool stuff. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, there was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power, known as the great power. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. This is the great Houdini. And everybody was amazed by this guy. And he did cool things and tricks and magic spells. And they were in awe of them. But when, he, uh, but when they believed Philip, the people, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So all these people who had been following Simon start getting saved and become Christians. Then even Simon himself believes and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Remember, here's a guy who was into great signs and miracles. Well, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Check this out. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. (gasps) What are we talking about here? This is the first time now that we see in the book of Acts a definite separation and a delineation between coming to faith in Christ and being born again and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because again, many people uh, teach today that it's all one of the same. Once you get saved, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, that's kind of odd because we see here clearly that that was not the case. And we'll see it several times as we read through the book of Acts. And I'm going to point it out to you how often this would happen. There was a definite distinction between being born again, believing in Jesus Christ, even being baptized, and then separately being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles come up, and all these people had gotten saved, but none of them had received the Holy Spirit yet. So he goes on, and he starts to pray for them. And Peter and John place their hands on them, 
and they received the Holy Spirit. Here's something special where they prayed for and, and people receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> By the way, if, if you haven't had this yet, I really encourage you to, to, to look into this. Pastor Lathan teaches a class every so often uh, throughout the year just on the Holy Spirit. And in that class, part of that class, they take the time and they pray for people, they lay hands on them to receive this anointing from God, this Holy Spirit. It's very empowering. It is absolutely fabulous and wonderful and glorious. And, uh, and, and you just have to realize there, there's more to this thing of faith than just praying a prayer. There's following after Jesus. There's being baptized. A lot of people, a lot of you who've come to faith uh, later in life here who yet to be baptized. You need to be baptized in water. So, well, I was when I was a baby. Yeah, well, in the Bible, they only got baptized after they became believers. Babies can't really believe. Uh, so we encourage adults or whoever old you are, when you come to faith in Christ, you put your trust in him. One of the next steps you should do is you should be baptized in water. Uh, we're going to be having a baptismal service here in a couple of weeks, I think. Gary left. I insulted him enough. Uh, not <laughs> anyway, trust me on this one. Um, being baptized in water, but then also this thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. A wonderful, powerful thing. Now check this out. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, so he saw something. Now it doesn't say what it was. All we know so far is that when the first guys got filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Now there's a lot of people who argue whether or not you need to speak in tongues when you're filled with the Holy Spirit whatever we do know this that it was something happened it wasn't they just all smiled and felt warm and fuzzy on the inside something happened in fact he was so impressed when these guys laid hands on him and they received the holy spirit simon now and here's a guy who'd seen miracles that philip had been doing well now he offers to, to the apostles money and says to them Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He thought this was really cool. What was it? Again, in the context, we've got to assume, at least it would be reasonable to assume, that they too began to speak in tongues. We don't know that for sure. It doesn't say. But certainly in the context, we do know something happened. He saw it. He wanted in on it. Well, Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. And pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you. For having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness. And captive to sin. And Simon freaks. <laughs> and he says I'm leaving the church. Because you yelled at me. Is that what he says? He says pray to the Lord for me. So that nothing you have said may happen to me at least you got to hand it to the guy you know he got out of line but he'd been a believer for what a few days a couple of weeks we don't even know wasn't very long he made a, a bad mistake and right away he repented which is a great thing when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the lord then peter and john returned back to jerusalem preaching the gospel in many samaritan villages as they cruised along the way okay now um uh, 
this next we'll pick this up next week because this is cool this is jedi knight stuff that happens seriously this this is amazing stuff that happens with philip in this next a few verses here uh and then we're going to see what happens to saul this persecutor of the church who put everybody through hell and how god moves in his life and uh you know you know there's always hope for you man i'm telling you it's been, I, I was in a where was i <laughs> i was in dallas texas last night I was on the James Robinson program. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, program. And uh, I, was, I taped a couple of shows with them. And then after me came uh, this lady. She had a ministry called Hookers for Jesus. Yeah, isn't that wild? And, and she, you know, here's this lady. She, she was a hooker. And uh, uh, drop dead gorgeous, by the way, too. <laughs> You're like, holy, who's that? You know, and... Uh, and boy, she shared her story, and I'm telling you, just like you all gasped, like, oh, wow, it's never too late. It's never hopeless for you. Here's a woman who just made all the wrong choices and went down all the wrong paths. And if anyone could have felt there's no hope for me, it would have been this woman. But she experienced God's forgiveness in her life. I'm going to try and work it out and see if we can get her to come up here and share her testimony with the church on some Sunday morning. You guys will be blown away. But we're going to see how God had mercy on Saul, this guy who had been so brutal to these people of faith. And uh, again, all of this just always says, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't, quite frankly, there's nothing that can keep God's love away from you except you. If you just don't believe. But if you will believe, he can do anything in your life. Praise God. So we'll pick that up again next Wednesday night.